Jacques Conradi is the chief executive and also a portfolio manager at Peregrine Capital. He's what I would describe as a fighting general in the investment field. Um, Peregrine Capital has, it runs the oldest and the largest hedge fund in South Africa. Last year, they celebrated a quarter of a century. And this fund has never had a single year of negative performance. In other words, they don't know this um, story that other people throw out on drawdowns. I've heard that lately, uh, where asset managers say, well, the drawdown was uh, 12%, as though the rest of us are supposed to understand that. Well, drawdowns just mean that they went backwards. But that hasn't happened at Peregrine. And Jacques and his colleague, David Fraser, uh, will be at the Biz News Conference. They will be giving a presentation on, I guess, a lot of what we're talking about today, but maybe um, most certainly in a, in a bit more detail. And uh, there will be more than 450 people at that conference. I say more than because we 450 people have booked, but you have the Biz News staff and you have um, the keynote speakers there as well. So... Sure, it's going to be a big event. Jacques, we're looking forward to you guys coming there, particularly after this past year, because we hear how difficult it is for asset managers to beat the indices. And I just want to put this in context. In 2023, according to your latest investor letter, which has just been distributed, your high growth fund was up by 14.7%. The pure hedge fund up by 12.5%. The JSE All Share Index was up 5%. So you guys beat the indices again and uh, are proving the point, as you've done for a quarter of a century now, that hedge funds are a good place because you tend not to lose money if it's properly managed. Yeah, look, thanks for the introduction, Alec, and we're very much looking forward to uh, to your conference in Armanus. Um, look, it's it's easier said than done. Uh, every year you, you start fresh and you've got to go out there hunting for ideas. But I guess that's the part that Dave and I and our whole team love about the job. We really love looking for ideas. And I think the fun part of this is most years, things uh, that the alpha or the, the good in returns come from something different. So every year, you're not sure exactly where it's going to come from. You go out there and you hunt and you look for it at every company on the JSC and you try to find something. And normally, uh, or luckily for us, the past 25 years, most years, we've, we've found a few good ones uh, in the market. Can't wait to hear what 2024 is going to be bringing because 2023, a year ago, you guys were already telling us about artificial intelligence. You were in chat GPT and clearly uh, you stuck with your bet on Meta and we can talk about that in a moment as well. Where did that come from? How do you, how do you collate this information which then puts you ahead of most observers? Alec, if I look at myself and again, most of our team members, one of the joys of life for me is, is to learn about how the world works, learn about what's going on. I'm, I'm just really passionate about that as one of my, my life missions, being a lifelong learner. So I think purely for the fun of it in my free time and in the evenings, I, I love browsing Twitter or X and, and reading what's going on in the world. And I think by by doing that, you, you just end up finding these interesting new things happening. And I think the moment the week ChatGPT was launched, kind of, we were all over it and playing around with it and just seeing the excitement and the potential there. So I think I think that opened opened that up. Now, look, I, I wish I had figured out that we should just buy Nvidia as well at the time, right? Because that, that's really the graphics costs that go into it. So even though you see these things, the hard part is often converting um, 
what you see into the investment idea that, that's going to make money. And for example, Google was the real leader. They came up with a lot of the ideas behind these um, LLM models that's driven the, the AI revolution. And I mean, they, they shared it well, but they're like Meta and NVIDIA and Microsoft have all done better. So actually putting the puzzle together and finding out how to make money from an idea is often part of the challenge. And that's often even the harder part other than just finding the, the initial idea. Let's talk Meta because in last year's investor letter, it was your worst performer. And there are many, and people would think hedge fund, worst performer, active manager, goodbye. But there was no goodbye. You stuck with it. You didn't add to it, I suppose, which you're kicking yourselves yes. for now. But j- just help those who haven't been following the share price, uh, give them some insight on what it did and why. So, so we initially bought Meta, I think this must be four or five years ago, at about $100. Um, it was actually post, you might remember, there was this Cambridge Analytica scandal where they harvested a lot of their data and it was used in the kind of elections and Brexit and, and all those things. And the share fell on that. And that was a great entry point. It then ran up all the way to close to $400 a share. Um, and then in 2022, it fell significantly because of TikTok started to compete. Apple made all these privacy changes where you can obviously on your iPhone, allow uh, allow them to, to share data from other apps or not. And that really impacted their ad targeting. And obviously, TikTok took some time to share away from the younger users. And the share fell all the way from kind of 350 around there, all the way, I think it touched like $90. So that's just a like a 75% drawdown for like one of the largest companies in the world. Um, you, said really- drawdown. you said drawdown. You said drawdown. I thought that wasn't in your vocab. <laughs> <laughs> it happens on individual shares. We try to uh, diversify and avoid it at a portfolio level. So then, look, we've got a pretty intensive process that uh, if you lose money in the, on the share, you have to have a stop-loss process where you review that share and you make sure, is my thesis holding, right? And, and it's, it's a very important part of it because that's often how you avoid these big losses if you can apply that early. Um, but then it's, it's often very hard. You've got to make the call. Do I cut this position? Has something structurally changed? Do I just keep the current position or do I add more? Let's say those are your three parts. And often on these big losers, it is right to cut because typically something's changed at the company. Their competitive position is worsened. So that's why we have this to force ourselves to think and make the call. Now, you're not always going to get the call right, but at least I think it's the right thing to really apply your mind and, and focus. And on Meta, I think it obviously fell a lot. Um, the decision at the time was, there is this threat from TikTok. There is these um, targeting challenges, but they were at the time investing aggressively in AI faster than most other people to offset the targeting challenges. And I think at that stage, the TikTok share losses, market share losses had stabilized. So our view was, it's it's too cheap to cut now. This thing looks ridiculously mispriced at $100. And as you touched on, the, the mistake we, we made is we should have had the guts to say, despite the drawdown, despite us losing a, a meaningful mo- amount of money out in 2022, we, sh- we should have bought more. And look, the fun part here is you're going to keep learning for most of your life. I'm 40 now. There's still 25 years left for me to learn. Hopefully, we get this one better next time. But at least we held on. And then it's run all the way back from 100. It's like close 450 last night. So it's been like four times in pretty much 12 months. And a lot of that was, um, I mean, the, the AI investments has paid off. But they also had the willingness to aggressively cut staff um, to manage their margins. And I think that's one of the benefits of investing in a company where the founder of the company is still the CEO, being Mark Zuckerberg. He cut 25% of staff. 
And it's, it's just crazy that someone can cut 25% of staff and yet they're growing revenue again at 25%. You'd think that would impact revenues. It hasn't. So there was clearly people not working efficiently or you could spread those workloads better in the company. So he had the willingness as a founder to do that. You typically, it's very rare you see large companies being willing to be that aggressive when it's required. So they just did a lot of things right. You've got to give them credit. And I, I have to say, we couldn't see a year ago that it would be up four times a, a year later. We could see that it could do well, but but it's been spectacular how rapidly it's it's recovered. Jacques, I think Warren Buffett's in his mid-90s, so it's 45 more years that you've got, more than double to, to keep yes. learning. Yeah. And, uh, and and you are learning. I mean, you guys, just, just to put it into context, you bought Capitech at 40 rand. It's now, what, a couple of thousand rand. You bought Nepi at 25 rand. It's gone up to 150 rand. So you've, you've found these. Tungela was another one of your big winners. However, the big secret, I suppose, to all of this is when do you cut? Are you looking at Meta now? It's, it's gone from 100 to 400, back to 100, now to 450. Are you thinking now that perhaps it's time to bank it? Or how are you guys seeing the continuation of artificial intelligence or generative AI, as they call it, and indeed Meta specifically? Mm, yeah, I, I think it is vital to not fall in love with your winners. We've also made that mistake in the past at times, right? So you, you got to have the discipline to, to cut if it's required. And and also when a position does well, it obviously grows in the portfolio. If it started a, as a two or three percenter and it goes up two or three times like what happened here with Tugela, it just grows meaningfully and finding the right time to cut is key. So in this one, we, we have sold a, a meaningful part of the position now. So it's still about a two and a half percent position, Alec. But I mean, that means we've probably cut quite a bit more than half the position kind of on the way up as it's done well. It, it just, for in my head, it shouldn't be a two or three times the size position at 400 versus what it was at $100 a share, right? It, uh, there, there has to be somewhat less upside left, but we are still very excited. I, I think one, like a rule of thumb the last year, and I guess, again, I wish we knew that is you should just buy the companies with the most uh, H100 graphics cards. These are the, the AI learning chips that NVIDIA makes. And it's been a, a massive correlation. Whoever owns the most of those things or has bought the most of those, the value of them in terms of training models, training uh, ad targeting has been so immense that uh, that it's just been a rule of thumb. You can just own the companies with uh, with with a lot of this hardware. And Meta's, I think Meta and Microsoft are the two biggest buyers of these in the world. So I think there are still kind of upside left that, that we can't kind of quite capture. And they've also made these VR investments earlier than anyone else. I mean, Apple Vision Pro has been the big news of the last week or two with Apple finally launching that. Meta's been in this game for the last five years and they're, they're losing like $15 billion a year on this Metaverse division. And I think there's real optionality sitting there. If this takes off, they together with Apple are likely going to be the big winners. So there's there's some pockets of value that, that could be kind of immense over time. So that's how we've balanced it. But to your question, we have taken a meaningful part of the position off the table. The other story that one that comes out very strongly in your investor letter is South Africa. South Africa is a, well, we know we have our problems here, but you guys are looking at it more optimistically. And there's, there is some solid basis for this. When we started last year, load shedding was dominant, the dominant story, uh, level six. There was hardly anybody who could see beyond that. You did. You thought that Things would get better. It has been getting better. But now, will this translate into South Africa Inc. or companies listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange being able to fulfill your relative optimism about them that they, they're offering great value? Yeah. So, so the three key things we're looking at right now, like is 
is load shedding. Can we can Eskom continue to deliver um, reduced outages? Will the private sector continue to invest to reduce the demand on Eskom? Um, I mean, we're at stage two or three. It's much better than kind of four to six last year, but we would still like to see that at zero to two consistently um, to to really have this problem behind us. We still think the indications are that we probably will get better and, and get there over the next 12 or 18 months, but you can never know for sure with Eskom. The things that make us most optimistic is the fact that they are more open to private sector help. They've had engineering teams from Sassel, from the mining companies, either their power stations to help deliver on these projects. And we still have great skills in the SA private sector. And we, we love that collaboration. And we think the SOE should use the strong private sector to, to help deliver on their mandates. So th- there I'm hopeful. We're probably going to see uh, interest rate cuts in SA as this year progresses, which is a positive. And then the key other thing we're looking out for is the election and whether there's a reasonable result where potentially um, uh, maybe you see some ANCDA coalitions is something we, we'd like to see and we think is promising for the, for the key regions. But again, there we can't know for sure we're going to track that very closely, uh, track the polls and track the election outcome into May. So with those three things, uh, let's say those being the th- three key macro things we'll watch, we still think a lot of SA mid-caps and sectors like the SA banks are still very attractively priced. We're seeing lots of five, six, seven times earnings multiples out there on shares that used to be 10 or 12 times earnings. So that's kind of 30, 40, 50% discounts versus where these shares traded previously. So that's a reasonable size bet for us in the portfolio right now, selective companies where we think the valuations are too low. And we think even if South Africa doesn't get much better, these companies could do well. And then if a few of these positive outcomes played on that I touched on earlier, we think they could do very well. So I guess we're based in SA, we're committed to the country. So I guess we're going to do what we can to to make a small difference. And then hopefully the, the other companies in the government will will do their parts and, and, and things can look slightly better here over the next kind of few years. I'm glad you mentioned banks. Off air, when Koki Koeman and I had, had our conversation, he said he hasn't seen banks this cheap for a long, long time, South African banks. ABSA, he says, is trading at 0.85 of book. Now, you would understand that. Maybe other people don't understand that if you took ABSA and you liquidated it today and just its net asset value, forget about the brand value, forget about anything else that's in there, you would actually get back a dollar for every or a rand for every 85 cents that you pay for it. And he says Nedbank, which was trading many times book in the past, is now trading at one times book. So that also gives you an indication that there's value if you want to look for it. Yeah, that, that's that's right, Alec. We we like the whole set. I mean, the whole sector is cheap. Um, I mean, we we specifically like. Uh, I think all of them, Standard Bank and, and First Rand specifically, looks interesting to us. I mean, they they're slightly above book, slightly more expensive, but Standard Bank has this great trading franchise in 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 Africa. First Rand has the kind of highest ROE in the sector. But I think uh, just the portfolio of the big banks at these valuations should do very well. The dividend yields are also seven, eight, nine percent. So you're getting an after-tax dividend yield that's higher than cash in the bank, and these companies are all still growing earnings. So it seems to us quite unlikely that you're not going to do at least 15% per annum. If you say they can grow their earnings by at least inflation, you're getting a seven, eight, nine percent dividend yield depending on the bank you're in. Um, that's kind of primed even just the earnings growth and the, the dividend yield. If they don't re-rate, if they stay at the current value price to books, you're going to make 15%. If they re-rate, you could make into the 20s. So that's an attractively priced sector for us and one of our kind of biggest sector exposures in the fund on the view that SA just kind of hovers around here and if it gets better, uh, we'll do very well out of those. 
So key question, you've reduced your holding in a company like Meta. Did you take that money and put it into South African companies, including banks? We've actually put a lot of that money into China, Alec, and, and it's an interesting debate we've had in the office where we grew quite concerned and negative on China post-2021, where, where you'll remember Xi and the CCP just got very aggressive with all the regulations on games and on the tech companies, and they just took a much more heavy-handed approach with the private sector in China, um, and these Chinese shares have massively uh, derated. And if you compare the Chinese tech companies with where the US peers are trading, this is the biggest discount we've seen in pretty much the history since these companies have been listed, where something like 10 cents trading at about 10 times earnings versus like a Microsoft, a Meta, Google, maybe 20 or 25 times earnings on average. We think there should be a China discount given the fact that a communist government is just not as safe for investors as a capitalist or democratic government. They can enforce rules which can't be challenged. They can, they can change their mind and, and do new things to you. But for us, there's a right price for most assets where it gets interested to us, interesting to us. And, and the interesting thing is we've been reading a lot of articles recently from the US and other countries saying China is uninvestable. Now, we actually like seeing that in the media because one, if you see that, it means that's already in the price. They're saying that because they've already sold their China exposure and cut it down. So actually, uninvestable is typically a flag to us to go, look, it doesn't mean you always buy, but it certainly means there's a lot of negativity in the share price. And if things get marginally better, or slightly improved and people think it's somewhat investable, these shares can do very well. So after being very cautious and almost having no China, um, a lot of that kind of US sales and other sales have gone into Tencent and, and Pindodo, two, two Chinese companies that we like, and where we just think China's extremely underpriced versus the developed markets at the moment. Most South Africans know Tencent because of the NASPAS um, process connection, but Pindodo, yeah, so, so it's a, I'll maybe give a little bit of context. It's, it's a Chinese e-commerce business. It's a bit like an Amazon or Take-A-Lot that people in South Africa will know. And they launched eight, nine years ago in China. And people thought the China e-commerce space was sealed up by Alibaba and by JD.com, whereas Alibaba was this marketplace model. JD was a bit like Amazon where you buy the, the goods firsthand. And the two of them had dominant market positions. And Pindodo through their model where they directly, they aggregate all the demand, they give it to large factories in China and they get the products extremely, extremely cheaply and you almost buy it straight from the factory door. You cut out the middleman, you cut out the warehouses, it's shipped from the factory door to your house, meaning it's the lowest possible price you can almost buy any good at. And that did very well in China and they're now bigger than JD.com. They actually keep catching Alibaba after Alibaba had like a 20-year head start. And they then decided, let's roll this model out to the rest of the world. Um, and they've been going for about 15 or 18 months now with this business called Tibu, um, which is just bringing very, very low-cost merchandise all over the world. They launched in the US first, then they rolled out to Europe. And you, uh, you might have seen, or SA consumers might have seen, in the last few weeks, they, they launched in South Africa with just extremely low-cost products. So we got our whole team to put in orders the, two weeks ago to see what's their delivery time, do they deliver on it, and... Impressively, it's kind of six to 10 days has been the delivery time and the prices are just like unlike anything you've seen. It, it just seems too good to be true and yet you get the goods. And I mean, the quality, some quality might be good, some quality might be average, but there is a real market, we think, for very low priced merchandise. And this thing has been going, growing like uh, kind of a house on fire globally. So we, we like the China business in terms of earnings generation and there's big optionality for us in this global team of business uh, that they've launched. 
That's such an interesting story because here in South Africa, we've got Amazon about to come into the market and people are worried about take a lot uh, and the impact Amazon would have. But now uh, when you talk about uh, Pindodu, it could be a, a whole new left field competitor that knocks both of them out. Yeah, you're right. Um, Amazon is, if, if we look at Amazon, it's probably slightly higher quality. They typically have warehouses with shorter delivery times within one or two days of delivery. But people also like cheap things. And sometimes they're willing to wait a week or two if you can get it for half the price, right? You don't always need it the next day. So I think both of those uh, serve a niche and, and have a market for them. So I think it's going to be tough for a business like Take A Lot. I think it would have been the right choice for Nuspers to sell this to Amazon if they could because it's it's really tough to face Timu at the lower end and then uh, Amazon coming in at the middle and higher end. It's, I think it's going to be a, a tough competitive environment, but it's great for consumers to have uh, to have these options available. Jacques, what's the story for this year? We've heard uh, very, very smart your call last year with AI and those who followed the, just even just the theme would have been very, very happy with the performance of their stocks. So that was 2023. You've got so many winners over the years. What's 2024 uh, or where are you putting your bets in the big story for 2024? Look, we, we haven't got a crystal ball uh, to, to, be, to be sure on the outlook. And there's various times when you're more sure or less sure about the future. I have to say right now, it's somewhat uncertain to us how this year plays out. The, the, the main, let's say, negative thing we have to watch for is these aggressive rate hikes we saw last year. Do they eventually slow down the economy? Do they eventually impact the European economy, the UK, the US economy? Amazingly, the US economy has been so strong that despite 5% interest rates, the economy is just humming along. Um, so potentially, there's a chance that there was so much momentum in the economy that it can just absorb these rate hikes. And in that case, I think markets will do quite well. There is also a case that maybe the lag in the impact from these rate hikes just take longer and that we do start slowing down throughout the year. So I think for us, it's it's a year where we've got lots of specific company bets placed where we think, let's say this SA mid-cap sector is interesting. And Dodo in China specifically is interesting. A few select offshore companies. We've got some Eastern European retailers that's interesting to us. So we've got some stock-specific bets. But the nice thing about our business, business is we don't always have to be sure about the macro. If, if, the, if the outcomes are uncertain and there's a range of possibilities, we don't have to take any bets. We can take company-specific bets, bets, which is what we're do, doing now, and then we wait for the data to emerge. And we look very closely at what we see in economic data, what's going to happen with inflation and rates, and then we kind of play the, play the hand as it gets dealt throughout the year. So uh, I'm less willing than maybe last year to put kind of a firm view out here just because... Um, I think there's quite a wide range of outcomes uh, that can happen in this year. And luckily, we're stock pickers. So we're not a macro fund. We can find individual companies that we think will do well regardless of the economy. And and that's kind of quite firmly where my head's at. So sorry for not uh, giving you a a straight answer to that one. Straight enough. Jacques Conradi is the CEO of Peregrine Capital. I'm Alec Hogg from biznews.com. 